If you're following along with me, we're going to begin in verse 2. And it says, messengers came and told Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah. They said, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They're already at Hazazan Tamar. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. You know what's interesting? That as we read this portion of scripture and we see Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news, it's not much different than what you and I experience today. It's not much different from what people all across the world experience today. You don't have to watch the news very long. You don't have to read the newspaper too far. You don't have to listen to too many reports until it can be easy to become terrified. It says Jehoshaphat is terrified by this news and begins to beg the Lord for guidance. He orders everyone around Judah to begin fasting. So people from all of the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. We're going to jump all the way down to verse 12. It says, Jehoshaphat then begins to pray. He says, O oh, our God, will you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We don't know what to do. But here, I love this, I love this next part. But our eyes are upon you. One of the things that I've, I've noticed, just from experience and, and, and just pastoring for for almost 10 years now, it seems kind of crazy because I still feel like I'm just 21 years old. But, but one of the things that I've seen from the cumulative experiences of, of pastoring thousands of people is, is that the, the, the best place that you can really be is a place where you come to the understanding that you are powerless. We love, we love to have power. We love to be in control. We love when things are going the way we plan them to go. But once things kind of get out of control and we're like, oh, God. My God, I'm begging you. I feel powerless in this moment. I think it's in that moment that God is looking down and he's saying, good. Because it's only, it's only when we come to a place where we realize all we have is God that we also then come to this beautiful understanding revelation that all we truly need is God. You ever notice that? We think, no, I need this resource and, and this person and this ability and this talent. And God's saying, no, 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 I'm going to take all that away from you so that you can come to this place of complete and total surrender and recognize all you really need is me. Some of us are in here this morning and we're kind of in that place in life where we're really beginning to realize I don't have a whole lot going my way, but today I believe that God is going to speak to you and you say, you've got all that you need going your way. His name is Jesus. And it goes on, it says, God, I, 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 I'm confused. I, I'm, I'm not sure what to do, but our eyes... Are upon you. Verse 13 says, All the men of Judah stood before the Lord with the little ones, wives, and children. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there, and he said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be, don't be alarmed by this mighty army, for the battle's not yours. Listen to this. But, but God's. You won't even need to fight, verse 17 says. Take your Positions. Everybody say positions. Then stand still. Watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. Come on. Oh, people of Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid or discouraged. He reiterates again, go out against them tomorrow for the Lord is with you. All the way down to verse 20. We're going to wrap it up here. Then we're going to pray. Then we're going to dive right into this thing. Verse 20 says, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped. He said, hey, men. People of Judah, army, listen to me. 
All you people, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in His prophets, and you will succeed. In other words, believe in the word that came from His prophets, and you will succeed. Verse 21, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers, worshipers, praisers, to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising Him for His holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, His faithful love. It endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah finally arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw over the valley were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. I want to I preach this morning, share and teach this morning from a message entitled, Privileged to Praise. We turn to the person next to you real quick and say, you've got a privilege called praise. Privilege to praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the few short moments that we have together this morning. And God, we just ask that you would make up the distance by your grace of what I would humanly say and what you need to be said. God, that you would speak directly to the hearts of everybody in here young and, and those who are who are older and God we just thank you so much for this house that it's being built on the energy of the of the youth and the wisdom and the experience in the motherhood and the fatherhood of the elders and God we're just grateful to be a part of this generational church and God we just also ask that you continue to bring championships to the city of Cleveland may the Cavs win again in Jesus name everybody who agree with me this morning said amen, amen. Amen. I am, I I, like many of you are are somebody who, I like things in order. Do I have any like really organized people, like neat freaks, clean freaks, anybody? Come on, be be real with me this this morning. Come on, come on. Okay, good. I don't want to make sure I'm on myself. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Lon. Thank you. Yeah, I like things neat. I like things orderly. I I don't like messes in my house. It kind of drives my wife crazy, but I can't relax until... Until I gotta have all the toys away. I can't even eat dinner until until things gotta be put, dishes need to be cleaned and put back into the drawers. Come on, you preach me down. Hey, come on, yeah. And, I mean, I want things to be nice. And I cannot lay my head on the pillow knowing that something's out of place in the cabinet. I don't, you can't close the door and expect me to believe it's clean behind there. No, I want things to be looking good. It's just me. And I'm kind of, I'm mildly, like, I could easily allow myself to become overly OCD. Like, I really, I really could. Like, like the true story, we're going to get home tonight, probably somewhere around midnight tonight. And, and, and anytime I travel, if I, even if I get home at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., you can ask my wife, true story, I've gotten home at 5 a.m. before, and I still got to unpack all my bags, put all my toiletries back into the restroom, put my, put my, put my luggage back into the basement, and finally I can go to bed. My wife, she just, after 10 years, she's, she's come to just accept this. She's like, I'm going to bed. You want to unpack my bag too? And she's like, she's out. And, and I'm like, I have to unpack your bag too, you know? <laughs> Do I have any parents in the room? Any parents? Come on, a bunch of you. Can you remember? Can you remember? Come on, we got Amzy in the back. He, he was leading worship up here. He and his wife just had, just had a baby on Monday night, I believe. Tuesday, Tuesday, little Silas Scout. That's a strong name. Nobody's going to make fun of the kid in the playground named Silas Scout. And, and, 
And I remember, do you remember the first time that you held your daughter or your son in your arms? When the nurse or the doctor or the midwife, whoever, kind of handed that, that little baby, little child over to you? I mean, you, you, were, emo- you were an emotional wreck. And even the strongest of you were, were just, you know, and, and I mean, it was just a beautiful moment of pride and joy and peace. And in some regards, even just this, this, this tranquility like, where you didn't care about anything else going on around you. In that moment, there was just an overwhelming sense of, wow, God, this is amazing. You know what, you know what, um, you know what also is amazing is about five or six days, nights later, maybe even months later, and that same little baby that brought you, oh, so great peace, now wants, now, now is trying to make you rip your hair out, you know, you're like, just go to bed, you know, I changed the diaper, I, I, I fed her, I, I just don't know what else to do, just stop, please just go to bed, you're exhausted, you're tired, I, I don't want this kid anymore, you know. Put it back. Take it away, God. Why have you forsaken me? (laughs) You know what else will mess up that orderly, organized, neat freak in you more than anything else? Your kids. Oh, my gosh. Why didn't anybody make me aware of how messy they are? I grew up with, there's six of us, six kids, my, my, my parents, six of us. I'm like, how did you do it? I've got two. And, I, and I'm like, God, take me now, you know. <laughs> it's funny because about a year ago, it was last summer, I'm, I'm coming home from work, and Judah at that time was about a year old, and, and for whatever reason, we, we just could not get that kid to sleep. And we, we tried the whole cry it out method, and Judah's like, I'm still going to cry all night long. You know, like Sophie, we cried it out for like two days. And she's like, I get it. You guys aren't coming. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> Judah's like, I get it. You guys aren't coming. Watch me cry louder for three months straight, you know. <laughs> we're like, kid, you are strong-willed. You know? and, and so we're like, we're tired. My wife and I are exhausted. And we both work. And we, in fact, we work together. And, and, and I come home from work. And she had worked a half a day that day. And she's trying to make dinner. And, and our daughter, Sophia, who is just, she's so precious. But she's like the messiest of us all. And. And, and she's watching television, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and it's turned up way too loud. And, and I don't like televisions up too loud. It drives me crazy. I don't know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm weird like that. And so, so I, just want things, I just want things the way I want it. And I'm a control freak. And, and, and this is therapy for me. Thank you very much. And, and, and so I walk into the home. The TV's loud. There's toys all over the family room. And, and Judah is in his high chair while, while mom is cooking dinner. And there's pots and pans everywhere. And I can tell she's, like, stressed right now. Because Judah's screaming and throwing food across the kitchen. She's at this point just ignoring him. And I walk into the, into the foyer. And in our foyer, you can kind of see like our kitchen, our dining room, and our living area. It's kind of like an open spot there, open area. And, and I walk in. I see all of this taking place. In just a split second, I'm like, I retreat to my office, which is right by the garage door. I get into my office. I put my bag down. I take off my, my, my coat. And, and, I, and, I, and I just, I'm like, oh, okay, just breathe. You can do this. And I'm thinking, you got two hours until Judah goes to bed. Two hours. You can make it through two hours, Jordan. Suck it up, you know. And, and you know what's interesting, though, is true story, is, is as I'm there and, and, I, and I'm just kind of venting to myself, and in some respects, honestly, just kind of complaining. That's really what it was. I, I, felt, I felt the Lord speak to me. 
And when I say I felt the Lord speak, if you're newer to church, yeah, that wasn't this audible voice, but rather I just felt on the inside like he was reminding me of something. And, and I felt the Lord say, Jordan, the thing that you once praised me for is the thing you're now complaining about. And he said, Jordan, the mess just means you're blessed. And I said, wow. All right, let's do this. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny because, because sometimes, depending on what our problem is, if, if we turn it around, we can, we can recognize that, that there is something that God is wanting to reveal to us in this problem. And the reality is that we all have problems. None of us are exempt from, from having stresses in life. There, there's nobody in here, regardless of age or regardless of even financial status. Sometimes we think if we achieve a certain level, then we'll, we'll be exempt from everything. No, it's, it's, it's the furthest thing from the truth. And, and some of us have, have financial problems. Some of us have marital problems. Some of us have problems with our kids right now. Some of us have problems with our with our spouse, with our coworkers, with our bosses, with our employees. Some of us have, have problems with somebody else in this room right now. We all have problems. We've got car problems and house problems and hot water tank problems. And we all got different problems. And you know what's interesting is the Apostle Paul, who wrote about, about two-thirds, just under two-thirds of the newer portion of our, of our Bibles, he, he had something to say about this. Knowing that we were all going to experience problems, he wanted to give us a little bit of encouragement in this, in this, in this, in this effort to find peace and comfort from our problems. He wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he said, he said hey, don't, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Tell God what you need and thank Him or praise Him for all He has done. Then verse 7 concludes by saying, Then, when you do this, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. See, this scripture describes for us the reasons why when we come to church and we worship with an incredible band and lift up praises of worship to our God, this is, this is the reason why in those moments we experience almost like this serenity from the rest of everything else going on in the world. Where we forget about all of the, all of the junk that's happening in election season, all of the, all the racial tensions that are going on all over our community. We forget about all of the stresses that we're, that we're experiencing and hearing on the news. And for just a moment, we worship God in replace of our worship. God gives us and grants us His overwhelming peace. And in one regard, that's the beauty of why church is so important. <laughs> over and over and over again. All throughout the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, we see the scriptures revealing and declaring and commanding us to be people who will lift up our hands to surrender to God and say, God, you are good. God, you are great. God, there is no one else like you. In Psalm 68, verse 32, the psalmist says, Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim and declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Revelation 19, 5 says, And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, all you who fear him, small and great. First Chronicles 16, 25 says, For great is the Lord 
and greatly is he to be praised. Isaiah 42.10 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. And at this point, David just starts making stuff up. He says, I don't know. Praise him with the blast of a ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and a harp. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals, the loud clanging cymbals. Forget it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Over 250 times, Old Testament, New Testament, old portion of the Bible, new portion of the Bible, do we see God commandingly and convincingly declaring that we are to be people of praise, people of worship? And yet, in John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus himself says, the hour is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father both in spirit and in truth. But listen to this last part. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. That God is looking and searching and trying to find that type of a worshiper. Now, I'm, I'm no big theologian, and I don't ascribe to understand all of the idiosyncrasies and nuances of the Scripture. But one thing I know to be true is that at the very mention of a word, God simply speaks, and the stars are formed. God spoke, and the sea is separated from the land. God spoke, and the animals are created and existing God spoke and all of the planets in the universe just come into effect and I mean he doesn't even touch it he just speaks it and bam it just happens and so I I have to I have to wonder I have to question why is it then a God who can do everything and speak everything into existence a God who made everything how is it a God who knows everything and sees everything how is it that he could be searching and seeking for anything, unless, of course, true worshipers are hard to come by. See, it's easy to praise God when things are good. But what about when things aren't good? What about when all you can see is the mess in your life? What will you, what will you do then? I want to give to you this morning really three simple points, and it's, it's three points kind of under the category of three problems with our praise. Three problems with our praise, all of which we're going to find illustrated in Second Chronicles, this story about Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles chapter 20. The first problem with our praise is our perspective. We're going to pick back up in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 20. It says, Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Adam is marching against you. They're already beyond the Dead Sea. They're already at Hazazan tomorrow. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news, begs the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So the people from all the towns of Judah come, begin to pray and seek the Lord's help. 
See, so often it's our perspective that keeps us from seeing God's blessing. Have you ever had a pair of binoculars before and you look at it through like the wrong lens and everything looks so far away and then you realize like, oh shoot, I, I, turned, I need to turn it around. Uh, sometimes our praise just needs, sometimes our perspective rather just needs turned around in order, to, in order to almost give a signal to our praise, hey, you can still worship God right now. See, see sometimes we view a parent getting on us about trying to finish our schoolwork or get good grades. We view that as frustrating, and we view that as, as just nagging, when the reality is when you turn it around, you actually have parents who care. And I know hundreds and hundreds of kids who don't have parents who care. <laughs> See, sometimes we view a messy home as disorganized and out of balance, and if you're anything like me, a messy home makes me feel like I have a messy life. And, and sometimes I can see a messy home and all that disorganization, and I, and I can think, well, my life is just in chaos right now, but when I turn it around, the messy home just means that I've got a home full of healthy kids. See, sometimes we can view the dirty dishes as chaos and stress, but when we turn it around, we realize we're blessed to have food that can be put on the table. My wife used to apologize every time that there'd be dirty dishes in the sink when I get home from work, and, and she's trying to cook dinner. And eventually, I said, honey, I realized after years, you don't need to apologize any longer because I've seen a correlation between the dirty dishes in the sink and the delicacies that you're putting on the table. And I realized that the mess just means I'm about to be blessed. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and so you don't need to apologize any longer. Last summer, when Sophia, she was six years old at the time, I, I I began to try to teach her about responsibility, and I started to teach her, Sophie, you need to start putting your toys away outside um, whenever you're done playing with them. Now, you can play with whatever you want, and you can take anything you want outside as long as you put it away. And so, so I started to tell her, I said, when I come home from work, if you're not outside playing with them, I want those toys put back away. Okay, Daddy, got it, got it. You know, she's six years old. She said, I got it, Daddy, I got it. And so I come home from work the next day, and sure enough, there's toys all over the yard. I thought, I'm going to be patient with you. You know, I'm, 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 a good, I'm a good dad. I get down on her level and say, baby, remember what we talked about yesterday? No. <laughs> okay, let me tell you again. You know, next day, still toys out on the yard. I say, okay, honey, okay, daddy has an idea. If you put these toys away, I'm going to do what every good father would do. I'm going to bribe you with candy, and you're going to get some candy, okay? You put them away, you get a lollipop, all right? She's like, I can do that, you know? Next day, come home from work, and there's a bicycle sitting right in front of my spot where I'm going to pull in the garage. And, and I saw it like last minute. I almost ran over it. I saw it like last minute. And I, I stopped the car, and I, I'm like, and I start rehashing in my head, rehearsing what I'm about to say to my six-year-old daughter. I'm like, girl, you need to grow up. You need to get some responsibility. You know, dad's not going to give you, you know, you're going to, I don't know what I was saying. And I'm like saying it in my head, and then I'm just like saying it out loud. And, 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 and eventually I, I kind of came to this place where I realized, what am I doing right now? And I was reminded in that moment of a couple in our church, friends of my wife and I, who last summer, they had been trying to have a baby for four years, unable to conceive. And they, they signed up for an adoption program in the state of Ohio and couldn't, couldn't afford what it would cost to do a larger search. And so they've been on that list for several years, just waiting for somebody to give them a child, just believing and trusting God that they're going to be able to be parents. And these people are amazing, amazing people. And I'm reminded in that moment 
as I'm pulling in the garage and rehearsing what I'm going to say, I thought, gosh, I bet you any money that Derek and Heather, if they had a bike in their driveway, that they would realize how blessed they are to have a kid who could park a bike in their driveway. And, and I realized the mess, Jordan, it just means that you are ridiculously blessed. See, sometimes we view the storm that's going on in our life and we ask God, we say, God, why is this happening to me? But when we turn it around and we change our perspective, we realize that this is a beautiful opportunity for God to demonstrate his, his extraordinary strength. See, no mess just simply means no opportunity for a miracle. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. He said, we're hard-pressed every side, but when I turn it around, I realize that we are not crushed. We're perplexed, don't fully understand, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we've not been abandoned. We're struck down, but when I turn this thing around, I recognize that I have not been destroyed. See, sometimes before the situation will change, you have to change the way you see your situation. The problem is very rarely ever actually the problem. The problem is more times than not our perspective of the problem's purpose in our lives. The second, second point, second problem with our praise, our perspective and our position. The band can come up and we're going to close it out here pretty shortly. Is our position. Jehoshaphat prays in verse 12. He says, oh our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. The man speaks up. He says, listen, all people of Judah, Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says in this moment. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. In fact, I have no doubt in my heart, even in this moment, there are many of you who that's the word of the Lord for you this morning. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Change your perspective. Take your position. Verse 17 goes on. It says, you will not even need to fight. Just simply take your positions. See, praise is the voice of faith in our lives. Hebrews chapter 11 says it's so beautifully. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. When, when we're in faith and we take our position of faith, there is substance to it. There is evidence to it. There's something that people can see. You recognize when people are in faith. You can sense it when people around you are men and women, both young and old, who are people of faith. Because faith is not some abstract theoretical principle. Faith is not simply wishful thinking. Faith is not simply hope. No, faith is action. Faith is taking our positions of praise. See, hope desires. Faith demonstrates. Hope wants it really bad, but, but faith causes it to happen and then praises God as if it's already been done. Hope praises God for what it can see, but faith praises God for what it can't see. Some of the things we're believing God for, some of the things that we pray for, 
will never come to pass in our lives because we're standing still in hope other than praising God in faith. You ever notice that sometimes the greatest men and the greatest women of faith, sometimes even our own lives as we look back at some of our experiences where we were believing God and standing in faith for something, you ever notice that sometimes faith looks stupid, that sometimes faith looks foolish, and sometimes faith causes us to do things when everybody else around us is like, why are you doing that? That makes no sense right now. Why are you praising God right now? That makes no sense. Why, why do you act as though you have a job when you have no job and you've been laid off, but you still have a smile on your face and you're still tithing? It makes no sense right now. Why are you still praising God as though everything is good? When I know your life, it's not good. You look foolish right now. Sometimes faith, in fact, oftentimes, in fact, most of the time, faith looks incredibly foolish. Which leads me to the third and final problem with our praise, which is our posture. Our posture. Early the next morning, verse 20 says, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stops. He conjures up the courage and he turns to his men and he turns to his people. And he says, listen to me. Believe in the Lord and you will stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And after consulting the people, the king then chooses to appoint singers to walk ahead of the army singing to the Lord and praising him for his splendor. There's a posture that Jehoshaphat took that seemed foolish to every other commander in probably all the, all the known world. Even when the story got out there of what Jehoshaphat did, I have no doubt that the other armies were thinking to themselves as they're marching against Judah, hey, they sent out their praisers. I can hear trumpets from afar. I see no swords, I see no spears, I see no armor. All I see is musicians. It says, in verse 21, it concludes, and it says, This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, for his faithful love endures forever. Over and over, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. No doubt these men were trembling as they are approaching these armies Three armies, in fact, being outnumbered, undoubtedly at least three to one, probably even more so. Some scholars and theologians believe they were outnumbered 12 to one. Their odds were stacked against them. And they're trembling and they're thinking, I'm doing what the king told me to do, but, but I'm kind of terrified in this moment. But, but, but give thanks to the, to the, to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Okay, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. It makes no sense why I'm praising right now, but something about my praise is bringing about God's peace. I'm going to give thanks to the Lord. I know His faithful love endures forever, even if the army that's against me seems like it's bigger than that which is within me. I'll still choose to lift up my hands, open up my mouth, sing praises to my God, give thanks to the Lord. Your faithful love, God, it endures forever. Verse 22 says, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. He concludes in verse 23, it says, They turned against themselves, killed every one of themselves. After they destroyed the one army, they turned against the other army. They start fighting against each other. Verse 24 says, When the army of Judah arrives at the lookout point, all they see is dead bodies just lying there. Not one single of the enemy had escaped. 
And, and from this story, what we can come to understand is that our greatest weapon, in fact, the greatest weapon that God gave Jehoshaphat was not a sword. No, no, no. It wasn't armor. It wasn't a spear. It wasn't a sling. It wasn't, it wasn't a bow and an arrow. The greatest weapon that God had given his people and has still given his people today is their praise. And so we can get all up in arms over the racial tension and over the political atmosphere and climate in our season and be all crazy and stressed out about what's going on with our family and our kids walking away from God and our parents fighting and stuff going on at school and stuff going on at work. And and we can try to figure out what I need to do. But I'm telling you, the greatest weapon that God gave you is your ability to open up your mouth, sing praises to our God, and say, God, it makes no sense why I would praise you right now. But I'm still going to praise you. Because that's what the Father is seeking. And that's what the Father has a hard time finding. When we change our perspective, when we take our position, when we fix our posture, there is power in our praise. Sometimes we so underestimate what we deem and have found to become these spiritual cliches. Yeah, there's power in your praise. I'm telling you, businessman. I'm telling you, young leader. I'm telling you, old leader. The greatest weapon that you can get is not another self-help book. It's not some strategy from some other leader, though those things are all good. And I am for all those things. But the greatest weapon God has given you is for you to get down on your knees every morning and say, God, I praise you. Even if my bank account doesn't give me reason to praise you, I still choose to praise you because there is power in your praise. I want to conclude by kind of wrapping this all up. You know, the the Hebrew word for the word worship literally means to lie prostrate. Prostrate. It, It literally means to lie down on the ground, face down. To lie down in the dust from which you first came. God, he, he spoke and the stars were formed. He spoke and the sea was separated from the land. He spoke and the moon and the sun created day and night. And God says, you without me are formless. See, worship is the one thing that God cannot give to himself. Worship is the one thing that God cannot give to himself because in order to worship something, you have to have something higher than you. And though God spoke all of these things into existence, when it came to man, when it came to woe man, he he didn't just speak, he literally got down into the dust from which man first came and he began to touch it and form it with his own hands. Because we are so much greater than the rest of God's creation. We are his masterpiece. We are his prized possession. We are that which he looks upon and says, that is very good. We are that which God smiles upon because he formed us with his hand. And there grows man. And eventually God sees this figure of a man named Adam. And he says, (gasps) and he gives us his breath. He says, with the same breath I give you, I want you to now give me that breath in return. 
and we get to give to God. The greatest privilege we have is that we get to give to God. We've got a privilege called praise because we get to give to God that which He cannot, church, give to Himself. God has everything, but what He does not have are true worshipers. And in return for finding true worshipers, God says, I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to fight this battle for you. That battle's not yours, says the Lord. It's mine. Just worship me and do not stop. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Father, we love you. God, we honor you. Jesus, we glorify you. Father, we recognize that perhaps the greatest privilege we've been given as followers of Jesus Christ is that we get to praise you and that we get to worship you. Now, you said, God, that we can come boldly to your throne, which means we can come with confidence right before you, right before you, God, and we can say, Father, you're so good. You're so great. And in response, you give us your grace and extend to us your mercy, your forgiveness. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here today and you'd say there's something going on in my life, there's a stress that I'm experiencing, and I recognize this morning that I need to turn this situation around, that I need to see this from a different perspective, that I need to take my position and change my posture, and in return, God, I'm asking for your power. If there's something that God is reminding you of, regardless of what that stress may be, I'm just asking right now that you would allow the Holy Spirit to seal this word in your heart and to change your perspective and to take your position and to fix your posture. Holy Spirit, right now, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, we just ask God that you would remind us, that you would speak to us. Jesus, we're listening.